Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. I think today's message is actually perfect for the group that we have right now, because um, the next two weeks we're starting a series, a mini-series called Puzzled, and it's really about... A topic that I think is good for anyone to hear, everyone to hear, but I also think it can be challenging um, for people because it doesn't have a lot of answers to it. This message series is called Puzzled because we're going to be asking questions like, how do I trust God when my life sucks? (laughs) You know, or how, how do I, how do I, when I'm living in this moment of where things are frustrating or difficult or I'm puzzled by life, where is God? And there's not an answer for that. There's not like an answer where I can just say, do this, do this, do this, because I think that's what we want, right? We, we want to go to the store to buy the thing that's going to solve our problem. That's the world that we live in. But faith is so nebulous. It's so vague. It's so challenging. And then we come across situations in life that blindside us or that we don't know what to do with it. And when we are faced with situations like that, what does the world do? What do we do? Oftentimes we, we go, God, are you there? You know, or we, we, we blame or we get angry, we get frustrated, or we throw our hands up in the air. And I think there are moments in our lives, no matter if you're a new believer or you've been a Christian for like 30 years, more than that, where you will be faced with situations like that. And so the next two weeks, we're going to be really kind of talking about that, try to get real and really just try to figure out what that looks like. And I think the next two weeks are going to be pretty um, pretty foundational, I guess is what I would say. It's a foundational concept of what it means to trust God now um, in the middle of those times. So um, a lot of what we are faced with in life is, is puzzling moments that something, like the reason we're puzzled or confused is because we thought something was going to happen and then it wasn't, or something that, it, that, is, that we expected to be like something, but then it's just become something else. And an example of this is last year, uh, most of you guys know we were looking for a house. My wife and I have recently bought a house. It'll be a year ago this July that we'll have gotten into our house. And we would look at houses and most of the time we would go to that place and it would be exactly what we expected. You know, we would see some, some, some things that maybe needed fixed. And when we got there, it confirmed our suspicions and the inside and the outside looked the way that we expected it to. And so we ended up not moving forward those houses where there was this one house that I remember particularly where we were, um, we were really excited because the outside of the house looked beautiful. It was in the middle of this neighborhood that we wanted to be in. It was, the, the outside looked really nice. It looked really quaint. The yard was really nice and manicured. Um, it just looked really great. And the price was great. It was cheap, super cheap compared to the rest of the houses in the area. So we immediately set up an appointment to go and look at this house. And so we get there and I'm excited to walk inside because the as soon as we pull into the driveway, we park and we're like, yes, this looks exactly like we want it to be. The house looks really pretty. The lawn is just as nice as it looked in the pictures. And as soon as we walked inside the house, it was like a different story. The house was cluttered. It was run down. The floors had like scrape marks all over it. The walls were dirty. The kitchen was foul, like like outdated. And there was like a film of grease all over everything in there. It looked like there was food that had been left out and then biodegraded 
created somehow fast, and, and it just was everywhere. We went down into the basement, and it looked like hoarders lived there. There, there were like boxes everywhere and furniture everywhere, unkept walls. There were holes in the walls. The ceilings were not finished. There was water damage everywhere. There was some weird porta potty looking thing in the basement. It was so weird. Like there were holes in the ceiling in the garage. It was just nasty. I thought there would be bugs if I just, if I like touched anything. I thought that bugs would like, crawl and animals. It was terrible. It was awful. And, and I just, and I'm in, in the light of this series, the idea is, is puzzling situations like when sometimes we come across situations in our lives that we are expecting one thing and then something either blindsides us or is it's something that we thought it would be and now it's not what it seems. And, and a lot of like life is like a puzzle, right? The idea of a puzzle in that, um, that there are a lot of pieces and we're just trying to figure out how do we put pieces into place to make our life be what we feel like it's supposed to be, right? Sometimes you come across puzzle pieces that, you know, it, it fits into place. I've got this. I've figured it all out. But sometimes we come across one piece that we don't. I mean, have you ever done a jigsaw puzzle, jigsaw puzzle and you come across one particular piece where you don't know where it goes? You can't figure it out. You're trying to fit it in the right spot. And then, like, I, if you're like me, I get frustrated. And I want to, like, force it in. I don't want to jam it in. I want to get, like, a hammer and start banging that piece into the right spot, right? Life is a lot like that. Sometimes we come across circumstances or scenarios that we just don't know how it fits. God, what are you doing? I don't understand. Why did this happen to me? So life, a lot of times, can be like solving a puzzle. And how do you... How do you solve puzzles? Every year on vacation, um, my wife and my brother-in-law uh, take time, and they like throughout the week to put a puzzle together. And I'm sure that they have their own strategy for how they fit their puzzle together. Well, some people try to organize their puzzle pieces by groups, right? Category, color categories. So you'll say, okay, all the blues here, all the greens there, reds, yellows. And that way you can kind of get an idea of where they're going to go when you need a particular color, you can find it. Some people, though, instead of colors they establish a border, right? Some people will say, what I'm going to do first is find all the straight edges and put the border together so now I can at least have an idea of where things might go. Some people, if you're like me, are like, I don't want to do a puzzle. I'm just going to watch TV. And half of our family is like that at vacation. The other half of us are outside on the porch. Some of us are watching Family Feud. Some of us are listening to music, right? So there's some of those types of people. But one thing is for sure, when you're doing puzzles, if you've done any kind of jigsaw puzzle, particularly the ones that are hundreds or thousands of pieces, what you really need is, like on the screen, you need the box top, right? Because the box top gives you the picture, the overall picture of what it is that something is supposed to look like. Well, the problem for us in life when we're trying to figure out our situations is that we don't have a box top, Right? We don't have the box top of life to help us to figure out why, what situation I'm going through right now, how, how does this fit into it? And so we get confused and we get frustrated, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And so we get puzzled. And so the question is, is what do we do? And I don't know if you in the room today are in a place right now where you're facing a puzzle piece. Maybe you have a puzzle piece right now where you're like, I just don't know what to do. It might not be one that's frustrating you. It might not be one that's making you angry. The puzzle piece could just be, I'm just not quite sure how this fits. For some of you, it might, might be something that's giving you a lot of heartache. 
It could be something that's weighing heavily on you, that you don't like this puzzle piece. It's not fair. I don't understand why. And I trust God. I'm like, God, I know you've got the box top, and I know you see it. I know passages of Scripture that say things like, like all things work together for the good of those who trust him and are called according to his purpose. Like I know that God in his cosmic nature is moving pieces around the board and that he sees it, but I can't, and so it's frustrating to me. It hurts me, right? Wherever you are, maybe some of you in the room, you're like, no, this is not me. Right now, I'm okay. But as I said earlier, I'm pretty sure that you've gone through a time like this in your life or that you will go through a time like this. So what I want to do is I want to look at a couple passages of Scripture today that deal with the uncertainty of life. And I think they're going to help us to get some clarity foundationally to help us in those times. So would you guys turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Uh, It's in the New Testament. And uh, it's also on the screen here. And it deals exactly with what we're talking about, this concept of a puzzling thing. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. It says, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and it's incomplete. But then... I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. What are we seeing here? This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in the city of Corinth, which is in the country of Greece. And he was writing to them and acknowledging the fact that there's just stuff we don't understand. And he's talking particularly about the mysteries of the faith, right? The concept of the understanding of of the nature of the gospel and how it fits in. But we see all over scripture, and we're actually going to see another passage of scripture that deals with the very human side of our faith. And I think what it's saying here is if you've ever looked in a fun house, or if you've ever been to like those places where the mirror was warped, or maybe it was shattered and it was missing pieces and, you've, and you don't see the whole picture. Any of you ever, ever looked in a mirror like that? Like, you, you don't quite know what you're looking at, right? And that's what Paul is saying here. He's like, right now in our present reality, in your circumstances, a job situation or a family situation or whatever it might be, that, that you're in a place where right now all you see is a small fraction of it. It looks distorted and you can't figure it out. And he says, but then... Then there is going to come a day when everything will be revealed, right? Maybe, maybe it's a job situation. Maybe you were like, you find yourself in a place where you're like, you know what? I went to school for this very specific thing, and I've got that job, and, I, and, I've, and I, this job is the puzzle piece that's going to make it all fit. If you've ever done a puzzle, you'll know that sometimes you get the one piece, and it makes sense, and now all of a sudden, the other pieces around it start to fit, and you get on a roll, right? That's how puzzles work sometimes, and maybe you were, you were thinking that this job was going to be that puzzle piece for you. This is the answer. I'll be able to get my family into this neighborhood, and I can buy a decent house, and I can lift my family out of poverty. Maybe you're the first person to go to college in your family, and you're thinking that this career is now an opportunity for me to be able to change the dynamic or the direction of what my family life has been like, right? You know, I'm paying my bills, I'm taking care of my family, and now all of a sudden you lost your job for whatever reason. Maybe you got laid off or you got fired. Maybe you made a mistake at work and did something that now has cost you to lose your job, and all of those things, that puzzle piece now suddenly doesn't fit anymore, 
Maybe your marriage is falling apart or you aren't sure why you can't get married or maybe you're wondering about your kids and you're in a space of where your, your kids are not acting the way that you want them to. They've gone off the, the path that you've prepared for them. Or maybe you've gotten sick. Maybe you're faced with a, a life situation. Maybe you wanted to be an athlete. Maybe you were going to be an athlete and you were training hard and you had a catastrophic knee injury or broke your leg or something. And now that dream of being an athlete is gone. It could be anything. Or maybe you've gotten cancer. You know someone who's gotten sick. Their life has been derailed because of it. There's all sorts of puzzle pieces that we are faced with. The what we see now, right? The now of the circumstance, all I see is the now, the puzzling reflection But then there's the then that we will see clearly and understand what God is doing. And so there's this tension in the puzzling nature of life. And it's this question, how do we live in the now in trusting God for the then? How? How do we do it? Well, for the answer, we're going to go to the Bible. And we do that here because we believe that the Bible is God's revelation for us to know how to find truth. And so we go to the Bible because we believe that it's full of those concepts of truth for us to apply. And we're going to look at a story in Matthew 11 of John the Baptist who has found himself in prison and he's asking the same and similar questions. And John the Baptist um, was a guy who, if anybody, should have had the, the right to know that he was going to be taken care of, it would be him. Why? Because they were cousins, first of all. So John the Baptist and Jesus were literally cousins to each other. They grew up together. They knew each other. Um, John the Baptist was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that said that this guy was going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah, right? So John, we see him preaching in the wilderness, and we see him saying that, like, come, here's the Messiah. He's coming, and it's this guy, and he points to them. Jesus is baptized by John in the river, and in that moment, like, the sky opens up. I don't even know what that would look like, and, like, the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit comes down out of the sky, and a big voice is it says out of heaven and says, this This is my son, Jesus, and I'm proud of him. Listen to this dude, right? So John, like, tells his disciples to, like, follow after Jesus. John had every reason to think that he was going to be, like, okay, right, because he was so close to Jesus, and now he's in prison. And this is what it says in Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Now, this is a question that someone asks when they're frustrated, right? I mean, you would think, like, how could John ask this question? He was literally just saying he's the Messiah. But it's really not that far off from what we ask, right? If you've ever, if you're you're like me, um, Maybe you've been facing a situation where you just were frustrated. Maybe the things that I mentioned before and the natural tendency is to ask, God, where are you? I don't understand, right? And if I could be completely honest with you, sometimes um, there have been moments where I've been laying in bed at night and I'm like, did I just make all this up in my head? You know, like, did I, like, like, or maybe I'll look at somebody else of another religion, and I'll think to myself, like, I wonder if maybe they're right, and I'm not. And that probably jars some of you, right, as your pastor sitting here telling you that, but I'm a human being, 
too. I, I have the same questions. And there have been plenty of moments in my life where I've had experiences that I cannot deny that I know I've had encounters with God. I know it. And that's why I'm here today telling you this because I have gone through many situations like this and I believe to my core that Jesus is the Son of God. But John is in prison about to get his head chopped off and knows it and is worried about it and he's in this moment and he's, Jesus, I thought you were who you said you were. I don't understand. I didn't sign up for this. John was in the now, right? The puzzling reflection of now. And this is what Jesus says to him, verse 4. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, this is the part of the service where the pastor starts talking about all the things that God is doing in the church, and he gets louder and louder, and people start clapping their hands. He's like, look what God is doing. People are saved, and people are being healed, right? And everyone's like, yeah, praise God, right? Because this is the proof that Jesus is who he says he is, right? From the Old Testament, you will know the Messiah comes when the lame are, are walking and the, the deaf are healed and the people who are, are of diseases are sick. Like, like Jesus is essentially saying to him, you want to know if I'm the man, if I am the chosen one, I am the Messiah? Yeah, I am because look at all of these things, right? But then um, this, what happens is Jesus adds another statement that Erwin McManus, the pastor of Mosaic Church in Los Angeles, calls a uh, theological hiccup. This is what Jesus says. He just tells him, yes, I am all of this. But, verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So, so he goes, John says, Jesus, I'm in prison. Can you help me? Are you the guy expecting the answer to be like, oh, I forgot about you for a minute. Don't worry. I'm going to get you out of here. That's what he was expecting to hear, right? Are you really the Messiah? Because I'm frustrated and I'm confused right now. And Jesus goes, I am the Messiah because I have healed people and because I am proclaiming the good news to the poor and because I have the deaf are hearing and the blind are seeing. But guess what? Not every person who needs something is going to get it. And those people who trust in me Anyway, blessed are those people who don't stumble, even though I am the Messiah. If you're not the one who gets healed, you are blessed if you don't stumble, even in the middle of it. John, I am the Messiah, and blind people are seeing. I am the Messiah when people are healed, when diseases are healed, when people are set free. But I'm also the Messiah when you're in prison and you will ultimately die there. Ouch, Jesus, ouch. Sometimes we get pieces that we don't understand, that we just cannot figure out. And Jesus is saying that I know you have a now. I know that you have a now that you can't figure out and you don't like it. But trust me, there is a then coming. And I want you to know that John died in prison. He died there. Like, so this is what I meant earlier when I was saying, like, this message is not one that, that I can give you an A plus B will equal C for you to get out of prison. Like, that's not how it works. Sometimes it does. There have been plenty. I mean, Jesus just reflected back, like, absolutely, there are people who have been set free. There have been people, we've seen other passages of Scripture where people have been set free out of prison, right? I mean, 
But why John wasn't, I don't know. Probably for this message, for a moment right like this, so that we would, because some people are. Some people will not be healed of cancer. Some people will die. Some people will be stuck in their situations. But that doesn't mean that God isn't still who he says he was. It doesn't mean that he wasn't the Messiah. So the question then remains for us again, how do we live in the now trusting God for the, de- for the, for the then? And interestingly, Jesus doesn't get mad at John. I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I guilt myself for I feel a lot of shame when I am in those frustrated moments. I'm stuck in the middle of the thing that I hate or it hurts. And I'm like, God, I'm so mad at you right now. Sometimes I don't want to read my Bible. Sometimes I don't want to pray. You know, when something happened, what I'd rather do is just ignore him. Anybody else like that? I know I'm a bad pastor, right? This is just reality, guys. Sometimes life is hard. John, in his frustration, essentially goes, are you the guy or not? Because if not, forget it. I'm going to like, I don't know what he would do in prison, but he would do something else. It's like, if you were to be like, oh, I tricked you, then John would probably have been like, well, fine. Then I'm going to do anything I possibly can to enjoy the rest of my life rather than suffer here, right? I mean, that's what we're thinking. And Jesus, like, like in that moment, we're filled with lies, right? The enemy, that Satan, the enemy of our, of, our, of our souls, like the Bible says is the father of lies, says that his job is to, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Like whispers things like, you're not a good Christian. You're weak. If you were a strong Christian, if you were a real believer, you wouldn't be asking these questions, right? You, you're not saved. If you were really saved, then you wouldn't have these doubts, right? Like, you know, there must not be a God because he's not, like these are all of the things that whisper into our minds. And then you feel guilty, like, man, I'm terrible. And what does Jesus do to Jesus to John? He doesn't, doesn't yell at him. He doesn't send the message back saying, how dare you? Look at what it says in verse 11. Truly, I tell you, he's talking to his friends, his disciples, among those born of women, which is all of us, except for Jesus, who even actually was born of a woman, but never mind. There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus affirms the guy who just doubted him. I just, I think that's beautiful. And the reason is, is because I think Jesus understood the tension between the now and the then. There is a tension. And that God is big enough to handle our questions. He's big enough to handle our fists in the air, like screaming and yelling and not understanding. He's big enough to understand that there is a tension there. And he affirms us. And it's all over scripture that we see it's affirmed in us. And the Holy Spirit just waits patiently for the emotion and the anger to wear off and to subside. And then when we're like ready to just sort of, okay, then the Spirit gives us grace and fills us with peace in those moments. And we actually ask the question again, how do we live in the now trusting God for the then? And there's this statement that I've written down that is, I would say, is simply complicated. It's simple. Like so much of our faith, it's simple to say or to understand it, but to live it out is incredibly complicated, and it's this. In the doubts of today, we trust in his tomorrows. I mean, that's simple enough to say, like, okay, I'm just going to trust you, God, right? In the doubts of today, in my confusion of today, in my frustration of today, in the anger of today, I'm trusting in God's tomorrow, that there will be a tomorrow, or that tomorrow will be different, or that something will be different. And we actually see this in the Bible. In Jeremiah 29, 11, 
And it's funny because this passage of scripture is one that usually is used on like promises, right? People put them on their, on their like, uh, on like the bathroom window or like their mirrors to remind themselves that God is for me. God loves me. God has plans for me. God wants to prosper me, right? And it's true. That's what God is saying here, right? Let me, let me read this to you. Jeremiah 29, 11. He's talking to his people of Israel. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I have the box top. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. And so we live our lives going, okay, like this is going to end, right? Because whatever I have now, it's going to end. God's got a plan to prosper me, right? Yay. And so we pray this and we recite this. And I think there's truth to that because we know that according to the, the life that we live, the blessed life, which is this idea of as I align myself with God's principles, that his favor falls on us. And we do see his blessing in our lives. But that doesn't mean that everything is going to be blessed. And here's the situation. I think it's really interesting. This passage of scripture was spoken over people who were in exile. They were in the middle of the puzzle piece at the moment. They were not in their homeland. They were in slavery. They had been, they had, their entire country had been taken over and they had been kicked out and chained up and sent to Iraq, all right? So they were in Israel and Babylon was in Iraq is that where we would now know of as like Baghdad's area, okay? They were in that space. They had they were ripped away from their homes. If they weren't killed, their families were separated. They weren't with their children anymore. Their temple was destroyed. They were building a new life in a foreign land and God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah who wasn't there with them. Them, by the way, and who is speaking over them saying, I have plans for you. Then, later. So what does that mean for us? Like God has plans. He's working on the box top, but it might not mean that like right now we're going to see this. And many of the people who were in exile died there. They didn't get to see their homeland again. The now and the then. And so here's that foundational concept that I think we need to learn is that our faith has to be in God, not in the outcome that we want. And that's so hard. It's so hard to swallow. Our faith has to be in God. I trust in his tomorrows because I know that he is working on a puzzle that is bigger than me. And it's beautiful. What he's doing is amazing. But at the same time, I can't cling to some outcome that I don't have any reason to think is mine other than my own hopes. And here's what I, what I mean by that. Imagine a doctor calls you and he delivers really bad news to you. And he says, hey, listen, we ran all those tests and um, turns out you have cancer. Right? Let's just imagine that, that you're getting that phone call from your doctor and you only have maybe a couple months to live. Like we didn't catch it in time, right? devastating. And your first thought would probably be like, like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. But then let's say you go to church, maybe today, and, and someone's praying over you, and you just get this incredible sense that God says to you, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The first thought you're probably going to have is God's going to heal me, right? Because that's what our mind goes to. Our minds naturally go to the space of God is going to heal me. He told me it's going to be okay, which means he's going to take care of me. He's going to heal me. And so maybe you don't want to go to the doctor anymore, and whenever they tell you the test, it's getting worse, or, you know, like you go, you keep going back to treatments, and you're like, you know what, I don't worry about it. I know God's going to take care of me. God said it's going to be okay. But really what God said to you was it's going to be okay. He didn't say that he was going to heal you. I'm not saying that God won't, but I think this is what I'm saying about it, this idea of us is that we, we have to trust in God and not necessarily the outcome that we're searching for. 
And God is saying, no, 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 no. Like, I said it's going to be okay. And okay might mean that, that, that you get to be released from it completely in this next life. God's sovereignty does not depend on our circumstances. And so in the doubts of today, we have to trust in his tomorrows. And our faith is in God, not in the outcomes that we want. And so um, some of you might be in the room going, okay, I, I get what you're saying. But Pastor Jared, like, you get all the pieces. <laughs> a lot of people think that, that as a pastor, like, well, because I'm a pastor, then that naturally means that I live a really good life and um, that everything seems to be going really well for you. And, you know, and even if you get a, like one of those pieces that doesn't fit perfectly, like you just can call God up directly and he's going to give you the answer. Like, I, it's, it's not, it doesn't work like that. I'm just like you. I've just, God has called me to teach and ta- called me to live this out in a very public way. <laughs> um, but I want to share a quick story with you as we finish up today. Um, several years ago, my wife and I and my family, we were living in McKee's Rocks and our car was stolen from us, and we had we had just um, we had finally started to get our lives a little bit in order. I mean, we made horrible mistakes, horrible mistakes financially for years, and and even when we bought this particular car, it was um, it was really expensive for us. But we had the money at the time, and you know, um, and it just felt like hit after hit after hit were coming, you know. And uh, we woke up one morning. I was in Atlanta on a business trip, and I got a phone call from Heather, and she was crying, and our car had been stolen. It turns out that, that, uh, that someone had taken it in the middle of the night and drove it up the street on a joyride and intentionally rode it up onto, like, this um, like retaining wall and to literally shred the underside of the car. So, like, the, you know how, like, how, how um, retaining walls can kind of go, like, stepped, you know? Sometimes of an upgrade, and they went right up, and in all the cement and the uh, the metal rebar, whatever the steel beams that were supporting it, literally just shredded into our suspension uh, underneath, and just like almost like cut the whole car in half, like long ways, right underneath, and it was totaled. We didn't have insurance at the time because we, I mean, number of reasons. I remember just feeling like God, I'm so angry at you, like, like. Like, I'm done. Like, I didn't want to talk to God for like a month. I felt like he did it to me. I felt like, you know how hard we have worked. You know how much we're suffering right now. You're a jerk. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. And then years later, you know, um, some of you might remember in the early days of our church, our friend Faith Dinkfelt. I remember when she was at our church, such a beautiful smile such a, like a light in her, um, had, had, had the worst cancer, like, like three or four kinds of cancer just ravaging her body. And I remember as a church standing with her, praying for her. I remember praying with her at church. I remember praying with her at home. I remember praying with her, for her at life group. I remember just believing that God was going to heal her. I remember that. I also remember the day before she died when I went and visited her at the hospital and she was terrified. She was so scared. I remember I remember sitting with her, holding her hand, first year of being a lead pastor. Like I had never done this, weeping and just crying with her, holding her hand and 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 reading passages of scripture that didn't offer hope other than than like like just acknowledgement of the horrible pain that she was in, right? 
Like sometimes that's all you can do with someone. And I remember just saying, it's okay because you have hope because Jesus is waiting for you. I remember that moment. And then I remember the next day, I remember the next day getting the phone call that she died. And I remember just feeling like, God, why? Why would you let this happen? Why deal that puzzle piece to someone? And I would love to stand here or sit here and tell you today that, you know, what we like to do as pastors, that there are these moments where like, you know, where we say like, you know what, and because through of it, like those nurses in the, in the hospital, they came to know Jesus because of it. I would love to be able to tell you that like the guy who stole my car, like came to our church and found Christ. Like I would love to, but it didn't happen. And that's reality, right? The reality is that life is hard and it hurts and it's difficult and yet, here I am today telling a story that encourages you in a, in a hard way, but it encourages you that there have been many things that have taken place. I can see a broader picture now of the area that God has painted because of that puzzle piece that involved my car and involved Faith's life. The conversations that have arisen throughout my ministry, throughout your ministry, throughout the times we have brought it up in our life group, how many times our church has been able to, how many people in our community have already heard that story or have heard me talk to them and encourage them? Are you doing the same thing? God is working on a puzzle that is bigger than just our space. Our puzzle involves other people. And sometimes he allows us to go through things because he's working in someone else's life too. Isaiah 55, eight through nine says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are they your ways, declares the Lord. All as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. And then in Ecclesiastes 3.11, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. And he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Sometimes I get the fun pieces, right? Sometimes it's great. Look at this, how it's working for us. And I know what to do with it. And other times we get these awful pieces. And they throw us for a loop and there is nothing that we can do about it. And our frustration is more based around the fact that we just don't see the box top. I don't know what God is doing, and we get, it, it hurts. But God is working on something better. He's working on a bigger picture. And God has that boxed up, and he is good. And God is loving. God is for us. He does have a plan. And so, I choose, in the doubts of today, to trust in God's tomorrows. Why? because now we see like a puzzling reflection. But then we're going to see everything perfectly clearly. We will see what God has done. The then may come soon. It may come later. It may come after you draw your last breath. But the then is coming. I promise you the then is coming. God's word says it is. And the perspective that he's calling us to is a greater one of like, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in my life, as painful as it is, and maybe those that we leave behind or those that they've left behind for us, that one day when it's all clear, the perspective is that that's better for us somehow, that, that we'll see it and it won't matter as much as we think it does. And so we have to take hope in that, right? So much of the gospel is the hope of the future. 
Yes, we are saved, but so much of our salvation is the hope of salvation. God is working all things out, all the pieces for those who love him. So how do we trust in the now? How do we live in the now, trusting God for the then? In the doubts of today, we trust in his tomorrows. And I want to close our service by taking communion together on your chairs. You should have the elements. I told you that this message today would be challenging and heavy. I hope it's been also encouraging for you. It has been for me. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he was having the Passover meal with his closest of friends, his disciples, the ones who had spent years with him. Jesus was in a moment where he was in the garden at another time and he was literally praying to his father, God, is there any other way? I mean, our Savior, the one who was on the cross, the one who, who looked strong in the moments that he needed to. But he had human moments as well where he just was like, is there any other way? I don't want to do this. I know what's coming. It's painful. It's hard. Why did it have to be done like this? And so Jesus, I think, in that moment, while he's having this dinner, we, last week we talked about how he washed the feet of those disciples. And one of the ones that he washed the feet of, he knew he was going to betray him. Like he knew it. Like it was there, right? And he's having this bread and he breaks it a part and he takes it and he says, take this and eat it. And in some ways he's inviting us into that. He's inviting us into the pain that our life will bring. And he's saying that as you eat it, remember me, what I'm about to do for you and the the pain that I'm going to go through. If I can take it, so can you, right? And he says, eat it. Remember me, identify with me that there is another way, that there is an end, that it is coming. There is a then that is coming. As we eat this bread, let's remember. So right now, whatever it is, before we, before we eat it, just close your eyes maybe and just whatever it is that is the, the now, the thing that is causing you pain, the thing that is causing you confusion, the thing that is, or, or, or just even if there's nothing right now that you can put a finger on that, you'll, that you're just identifying right now to say, you know what, when it comes, I'm going to identify with Jesus. I'm going to trust in him for my tomorrow. Let's eat this bread together. And then he took a cup and he passed it around. He took a drink and he said, take this and drink it. For when you do, it symbolizes the new covenant. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, everything pointing to him, that all the work, all the tiredness, all the sin, all the sacrifices, everything was no longer needed because of Jesus's death that covered our sin with his blood. It washes us clean. And so every time that we drink this, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, I identify with Jesus. I believe in his forgiveness, his mercy, that he paid the way for us, that, that whatever I'm going through, whether my problems right now are, are because of my own, my own fault, a lot of the times the things that we're facing are because of our own sin or because of our own mistakes, right? or if it was someone else's, whatever it is, or just, we're just dealt a bad hand. The blood of Jesus 
pays the way and paves the way for us that when the then comes, one day it's guaranteed to come. It is guaranteed to come. So let's drink right now and just say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. I trust you for what tomorrow will bring. Let's drink together. And so God, as we close this service today, I thank you for the foundation of your word. I thank you for moments, very real, raw moments in scripture that we can identify with, like John in prison. We don't want to gloss over those moments. We want to take them seriously. We want to let them linger for what they are because it has stood for 2,000 years as a beacon for us to see that it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to see puzzling. It's, it doesn't make sense. And that tension that is there for us, you have affirmed us in it. I thank you that you affirm us as your children, that you love us, that you don't hold it against us, that we, that we cry and that we are scared and that it hurts and that we're frustrated. Whatever we feel, you, it doesn't change the way you feel about us, the way you see us. You say that we are your loved children. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, God, as, as in the moments right now where we see just now, all we can see is the puzzling reflection. God, would you give us faith as we sang this morning? Give us faith to trust what you say, that you are good and that you love us and that you have a plan. God, that we will trust, like in Jeremiah 29, 11, that you have a plan for us, that you are taking us somewhere, that there is a, a that you're doing something for your people, for this planet, that you are building a world that ultimately will be healed and restored. And we trust you, whether it's the answer, whether the, the then comes today, tomorrow, or after we draw our last breath, we will trust you. We trust you. God, let us be there for each other. Let us stand with each other as brothers and sisters. Let's lean into the relationships of our faith with each other and carry each other and see how you're speaking to us. See how you're encouraging us. Let us be sensitive to your spirit within us that encourages us. Draw us to your word, God. Draw us to worship you. Draw us to you instead of away. And as we go about this place and we come back next week, I pray that you would again just prepare our hearts for the follow-up to this message, that you would just strengthen us, God. We love you. We thank you for how you're building us as people. We thank you for this church family. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.